Well, you better send a, have sent a question with you also. <laughs> well, uh, somebody asked me a question the other day. They're not here tonight, but um, we have covered the Beatitudes before. But there was something bothering them. <clears throat> we'll take this from St. Matthew chapter 5 and read a little bit of it. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no way pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now this um, first uh, verse, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In St. John's dark night of the, of the cross, St. John's dark night of the soul, I should say, it was written by St. John of the cross. Um, there is much enlightenment given on the way that man must go in order to become one with God. Now, there's a great deal of misunderstanding about the trials and the tribulations that God puts us through. You know, every one of us, as I have said many times before, wants to become one with God, we say. Yet, when he goes about fulfilling our requests, our desire, to do everything, or to make us do everything, 
that will enable him to fulfill that desire, we cry. We feel terrible. We are put upon. And strangely enough, whenever we give our hearts to God with complete abandonment and surrender, then it seems as though all of the things that we wouldn't want to happen to us humanly start to happen. But this is actually what we have asked for if we would only realize it when we ask to go to God. You see? And we must become poor in the Spirit for this reason, that when we go through these terrifying things sometimes, these horrible things, and some things which are not so nice nor so easy to bear, they, we are filled with pain, with suffering, sometimes with fear, we do not realize that at that very moment we are being lifted up to God in a most wonderful way. That at that very moment the light is shining in the darkness. You remember that it says this in the Bible. The light shineth in the darkness, but the darkness comprehendeth it not. And the reason that we are aware at that time of all of these miseries and sufferings and tortures is because that light is shining on our souls enabling us to see our souls as they really are for the first time. If the light was not shining on us from God at that time, we would not be aware of this. We would still be in ignorance and in darkness. We would be living a worldly life, the life of the five senses. But because we are now miserable, because we are aware of all of these things, Truly, this light is shining down to enlighten our consciousness. It lightens our understanding so that for the first time we see ourselves as we really are. At first we see through a dark, a glass darkly and then face to face because uh, this darkness must be gone through. This suffering must be gone through if we are to be completely purified and to become one with this great light which is within ourselves. God is everywhere equally present. His light is shining. But the soul has encrustations on it which have been there for incarnations. And these encrustations must be removed. We think sometimes that this is a simple matter, that all we have to do is to put in a few hours meditation, and few of us there are who really do this faithfully night and morning every day of our lives. And if we will look within our souls, we will admit the truth of this. But we, we want so much for so little. And we cry to God and we say, God, why have you done this to me? Why have you put such torture and such suffering upon me when all that I wanted was my oneness with you? So that's what he's trying to give you. Realize this, that anything and everything which comes to you of this nature is truly the answer to your prayer. Because until you have gone within the sanctity of your own soul, when you have, until you have gone into the depths of the hell which is within yourself, and encountered every single fear, every single bit of darkness, every single shadow, and have overcome it, you cannot possibly have this great light. Do you not realize that your will must be absolutely made perfect in God, that your faith must be made perfect in God, that your surrender must be complete? 
We are told that we have to work and work hard to get God realization. But we are told that we work only up to the point where we know that we of ourselves can do nothing. That it is God, truly, who doeth the works. And so it is. Because as long as man is active, trying to use his mind, his will, his understanding, his energy, to go to God to get things accomplished, he is still operating in the field of the senses and in the worldly sense, even though his purpose is good and great. This is true. And these are the tools. All of these things would keep your mind engrossed, even though they seem to be good, which the satanic force steps in and uses to keep your mind and your soul so occupied that you are not concentrating upon God. Now, the soul goes through this state, and many times each one goes through it in his own way. But you come to a point where you just don't know which way to turn. You think you have tried everything. You think you have done everything. And yet, if you were to look at it in all truth, you would know that you hadn't even started to make an effort. You have to admit this to yourself because you've been so busily occupied with all of the things of the world. Of course, you've been serving God. You've been serving Him in people. You've been serving your family. You've been cooking. You've been washing. You've been scrubbing. Or you've been out earning a living for your family. And this you must do in the consciousness that you do it for God. But nevertheless, you have not done what you should do. But finally, having gone through this completely dark night where you have this pain and this sorrow, with very little shafts of light coming in, your memory leaves you. All of a sudden, you can't remember a thing that happened before. And at the very time you want to remember something, it escapes you. Your will is dry. You say, I go within, and God doesn't tell me anything. I try to listen to the voice of my intuition, but it says nothing. What shall I do? And so you expect the teacher, the guru, to put the words in the mouth, to do the actions for you, to do the thinking for you. But the guru will not do this, because you have to learn to do it yourself. It is between God and yourself. You will never grow. You will never become one with God unless you fight this out within your own being, on the battlefield, within yourself, and overcome it. This is what Krishna was telling Arjuna when he said that he must kill his dearly beloved relatives. These are all of the little things, the little habits, the, the powers within ourselves that keep ourselves in growth <clears throat> and we have so many things to overcome like envy and pride and jealousy and hatred and lust and greediness there are millions of these things which all must be completely perfect before we can go to God we must be so poor in the spirit do you see the meaning of that now to be poor in the spirit so that you are dry because the old man, the human self, has to be killed, actually dead, before the divine within you can manifest itself, before the Christ can actually be born within you. 
So you must be very poor in the, in the spirit. You must have nothing. Not even that spiritual sweetness which comes to you in the human sense, which you think is ecstasy or bliss, but which in truth is an emotional manifestation. Now you've got to recognize this difference because until you get to the other side of this dark night of the soul, anything that you experience in ecstasy or bliss so-called is not authentic. It is not the truth. You have to go beyond that and become secure in the higher realm of the divine. Then this union comes to you in balance. It comes to you in peace. It comes to you in calmness. And you are masters of yourself. Do you see the difference? This, this dark night of the soul is a wonderful thing. And St. John of the Cross said, Oh, what joy it was to go through it. He didn't cry or yell or think himself put upon, but he thought that God was doing him the greatest service in pouring his grace upon him, that he enabled him to go through this so that he might get the greater joy that was to come. Now, in this dark night, in the deep meditation of your soul, when all the powers of the senses are stilled, when they are asleep, it is then that the soul leaves the body and goes to God. Because don't forget that this first union which comes to you is union with yourself. It is self-realization. It is a knowledge of your own soul, of your own divinity. But in order to get complete union, with God the Beloved, with God the Universal Consciousness, the Universal Spirit, He who is all light, all wisdom, all love, you must be able to transcend all three states of body consciousness and to come and go at will. Actually, you have to go through this valley of the shadow of death, which is spoken of in the 23rd Psalm. Now, you see, we think of this valley of the shadow of death as a physical death as somebody having passed out of the body and being put in a coffin and while they do this we have come to think that they go through certain states of consciousness well this is true also but what is spoken of in the 23rd Psalm is the valley of the shadow of death of the ego of the human ego and you have to go through that and they say that it is a, an experience which takes the utmost in courage and few there are who have courage sufficient to go through this valley of the shadow of death but it also says that we shall fear no evil because in this dark night when we go out when all of the senses are stilled then they cannot come in and do anything to us as they have before when we've gone through these various experiences when we have transcended this power of the senses and we are in that stillness, then the soul goes in safety into this experience because all else is asleep. The world, Satan, all the powers that ordinarily take hold of you and try to keep you from your realization of your God self within. This is tremendous knowledge. And the more you get into the Bible along this line, you realize that everything 
that is spoken of in the chapter on Job, for instance, which was asked about one evening and which I have since read, describes minutely the experiences which God has put Job through in going through just exactly this state. He tested him to the utmost. He even gave Satan the power to try to tempt him. He told him that he was sure that he could tempt him and take him from God. And yet, Job persevered till the very end. <coughs> and finally, he realized God. God was gracious to him because he knew that he had met and overcome every single test. So when you realize that when you're going through this middle state, which is the state of purgatory, where the soul is being purged, that you are doing so because the light of God has descended upon you, that he is there guiding you, directing you, purifying you, doing everything for you because he loves you so much. And he is trying to grant you your request to become one with the bridegroom, the one beloved. You feel very differently about it. And no thing which he can give you in the way of a test or a trial is too great at that time because you think only of the wonder and the beauty and the love and the light that your Heavenly Father is bestowing upon you. Because if you have the courage and the tenacity of purpose to go through all of these things, surely His bliss, His grace, His love pours upon you and you have this oneness. But don't forget that in the beginning Everything that is happening is happening for but one purpose. And that is to take away the emotional reaction that we have been subject to all of our lives. The hurts, the possessiveness, the attachment. Now this doesn't mean that we will not love our loved ones because God is all love. But rather we will love them not in the human way, which is subject to change, but in the way of the divine in the way of the infinite beloved. And that is the one love in this whole wide world and all worlds beyond that you can depend on. It is just God alone because all other loves stem from that one love. Many times we think of our children as being our children, but they are not in truth our children. Like it says in the prophet, they are life's longing for itself and they are given to us that we may lead and guide them and direct them to the knowledge of their greater selves, their oneness with God. In truth, we are all, each and every one of us, God's children. We are all his disciples, and yet conversely, we are one with him. I and my Father are one. But we have to put ourselves in the position of realizing this oneness with our Father. And we can only do it by going through these things, the way of the cross, and it tells about the steps which must be gone through. And they must be gone through secretly and quietly in the depths of your soul. And this is the spinal stairway much which must be transcended. And one day if we persevere and we do everything that we're supposed to do, then this great peace, this great light will come to us. But even after we've gone through these terrific experiences, you'd see the senses still have a hold on us to some degree and the perfecting of all that is taking place within us must continue and all of the little edges polished off 
you see? Our food habits, our thought habits, our sense of smell, the things that we like to listen to, the things that we like to feel, to touch, all of these things must change because every cell in your body must change. The bones in your body must change in order that you get rid of the vile body, which was subject to all of these temptations, all of the things of the past that made you miserable so that you might have a new body in Christ. And when once you cross this valley, this ocean of delusion, and you are freed, you are liberated, you look back and you see in what terrible condition your soul was in at that time when you were satisfying all of the things of the senses, when you were in truth bound hand and foot and you couldn't move because you didn't have this light of God. You weren't seeing God face to face. It takes a lot in the way of courage. It takes tremendous willpower to want to go to God. And yet we don't go. He takes us. Because knowing nothing of the things which actually transpire within ourselves, which must transpire in order that we attain this high state, still in his infinite mercy, he lifts us up and he puts us through every single thing we need to go through. He tells us everything we need to know, either through the guru, through a book that we read, through some experience in our life, or through meditation that comes in many ways. Many trials and tests come to us, and some of them are so great that we think that we can't stand it. But if we see in each experience the sweetness of the Lord manifesting itself, if in truth we know that every single thing he does for us, no matter how it seems, is for our highest good, and that it's all a part of a tremendously great pattern, then we are at peace within ourselves. We know that truly God's hand is working everywhere, that nothing is happening to harm us. The Christ says in this that he comes not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he knows that this is true, just as every one of us must know, that whatever we have done under the law must be fulfilled, whether it be for good or for bad. We are so willing, you see, to go out and do anything that we want to do to satisfy our desires. But we are not willing to pay the price. We will shell out money for a show. But if that show should cause us to suffer otherwise, we don't want to pay the price of the pain of suffering. Isn't this true? Always, you see. We aren't willing to pay only what we think. We ask God for so many things. And yet we are constantly directing him as to how he should grant our requests, not realizing that he alone knows all of the things that have gone on in all of the lives that are past. This applies to our life and to every life that comes into being. <coughs> and so why do we worry about these things? What good does it do to know who you were in an incarnation? I met a woman the other day who said to me, You know, I've just been dying to see you. I know how busy you are, but, and I was going to call you on my day off, but I want to ask you a question. She says, uh, 
you know, I have always been very interested in studying about the history of all the nations of the world, with one exception, and this exception was Egypt. I just didn't want anything to do about it. And she said, I didn't know why. Well, she said my daughter was going to get married, and she was more or less interested in furnishing her house in a unique fashion. So she bought a, a bust of a former Egyptian queen. I forgot what name it was. And she asked me if I knew about her. She had told me her name, and I said no. So she said, lo and behold, she went to the library, and she came home with a whole armful of books, and she said, Mother, you're just going to love everything that's in here because it's going to help us in furnishing the house in, in a most beautiful way, and you're going to find a lot of things that will really interest you in, in a historical way. And so she said, I got into these books, and I found myself absolutely fascinated with them. And she said, I was turning after page after page, reading along, and all of a sudden I came across the picture of this very queen whom my daughter had a statue of or a, a bust of. And she said, as I looked at her, I was so utterly amazed I almost dropped in my tracks because there was my daughter's face. Just feature for feature, there wasn't a line in that photographic face that wasn't the same as my daughter's. Now, I want to ask you, says she, was she once this Egyptian queen? And I said, well, what possible difference does it make? Well, I want to know. And I said, well, even if I did know, which I don't, I wouldn't be <laughs> telling you about this because I said, in the first place, whatever we were in the past is not important because all the lies that we have gone through before have had but one purpose, and that is to build us to live this life which we now have in its fullness, to its utmost. And in every life we are put here but for one purpose, and that is to get a little closer to God. Until in one incarnation, then finally we reach our goal and we become one with the Beloved. I said, stop living in the past. Stop living in the future and learn to live now to the utmost, to the highest of which you are capable. Well, she said, you know, I find it great, uh, I find it very difficult not to, uh, to wonder about these things. She said, I even went to a reader the other day, and she told me that uh, my daughter and I had a very unusual relationship. Now, this is all very interesting from the standpoint of satisfying your curiosity. But how much good does it do you to know about your former incarnations? If God wants you to know about any of these things, he will make it known to you. Sometimes, you see, through his mercy, he prevents us from knowing these things because if we did know, how do we know what we did or what we were? We might not like it very well. And if we saw ourselves committing some terrible crime because of a vision that came to us because of some former life, we might be so horrified so petrified with fear that it would retard our complete spiritual development. There's no point in it. Absolutely no point. We keep our minds so, me, so engrossed with all of the things of the senses. Our curiosity has to be satisfied. We are constantly asking questions. What do you think about this? Or do you think I was so? Or when do you think I'm going to get God realization? Well, God within you knows when you will get it, and you will get it when you have earned it. And you know, strangely enough, I remember asking my own master that same question 
once and I said, Master, will I get uh, God realization in this incarnation? He looked at me. I said, I mean one, you know, he was a little bit too long in answering to suit my purpose. I said, well, will I get it when I have earned it? I said, if I try real hard, yes, he said, you will get it when you have earned it. <laughs> and this is the way it is, you see. We always want to know these things. And we keep our minds so engrossed with wondering, with wanting visions, with wanting experiences, so that we can feel our pulse and determine the state of our spiritual advancement, that we forget that all we are supposed to be doing is one simple thing, to keep our minds upon our Lord, to love Him, to adore Him, to worship Him, and to serve Him in all joy, in all surrender. And if we do this, then we'll get our heart's desire. And we're not always in the midst of a battlefield if we do these things. You see, we keep ourselves wound up. We say to ourselves, well, why does this happen? Why has this happened to me? Why do I do this? Everybody says it. I've said it myself a million times. And for the last couple of years, I've been going through this dark night of the soul, of course, for many years. And I say to God, why don't you take me out of this? Why does all of these things have to happen? Why do all of these things have to happen to me? Why, having gone through these really terrific experiences, don't I experience something in the way of complete enlightenment and bliss? And I forget the times when I am speaking to you, or when you are speaking to me. And he speaks to me through you. And he teaches me the most wonderful lessons. And I think, isn't God wonderful in that one? Isn't it marvelous that he is using this vehicle to educate me, to take me a little bit closer to himself? And many times when I've asked this question, I have been just like I was in a vacuum. I have been so frustrated at times during the last couple of years that I couldn't possibly stand it. Why couldn't I go ahead? Why couldn't the work get started? Why couldn't I write? Why doesn't God just, you know, come to me and let all of these thoughts and things flow through? And then, all of a sudden, I know why. Because something that one of you will say to me or ask me, or something that I will read in a book, or something that I will get in meditation, something that God will tell me when he awakens me through the night makes me know that here I am still in the middle of the ladder with all of this way to go and having shown me this new thing I look down and what I would have written what I would have taught and what I have taught and I say to myself but that's only a part it isn't the whole and now I see it from a greater distance I see that glass shining a little more brightly and so God, you see, knows what he's doing. He doesn't give it all to us at one time. All of this takes time. It's a gradual unfoldment, just like the seed is planted in the ground and it sends its tender shoots up through the earth and gradually it grows and it gets foliage and then it has buds and these buds open into flowers and the petals and the perfume are wonderful and then the petals fall off the pod dries and the seeds fall upon the earth to become a harvest again after they take root to delight the souls of men. This is the way it is with all of us. We must be content now. Let us get peace and calmness within ourselves. Let us be meek. Blessed are the meek in spirit. What does it say here? Blessed are the meek 
for they shall inherit the earth. You see, all of these things must be done if we are to inherit the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And what do we mourn for but union with the bridegroom, the one beloved? And the reason we mourn is because we go through these things. We want so badly to, to reach this paradise, this perfection within ourselves. And because we aren't able to do this, we mourn within ourselves. We cry. You've done it. I've done it. All of us have done it. And so these things must be realized. All of these things must be overcome. But we will accomplish our purpose so much more rapidly, so much more readily, if we will realize the truth that I am telling you tonight because it is truth. It's taken me years to be able to teach you this little tiny bit which I teach you, you see. And not I, but God within me. And I think sometimes of my barrenness, and yet Mary and I were together last night until after 12 o'clock, and we had such a tremendous evening in God that we could scarcely see each other across the room. The room was filled with light. His vibration, his power, his peace was there. And then I say, God, why don't you come to me when I already have him? And so do you. Every single one of you. If we can only get ourselves out of the way. Quit feeling sorry for ourselves, pitying ourselves and measure up and be what we should be. Not mortal human beings graveling like worms in the dust, but immortal, measuring up to our full stature, everything the highest of that which we are in God. This is needed in this world as it never was before. And so until each and every one of us decide that this is more important than anything else, that it is more important than our little petty wants and desires. These things which certainly don't add to us but rather detract from us. They take from us physically, mentally, spiritually. When that day comes, when we are ready to give all of these things up and say, Lord, here am I, take me. Do with me as you will. And then whatever it be, meet it head on in glory, in joy then in truth we will know that which we seek. God will have appear, appeared to us face to face. There will be no lack in our lives, in our hearts, because God is there. And we know he is there. There will be no sense of separation because every time we look around, we see nothing but God everywhere. Nothing but God. No matter how we see me, God is truly there because he is omnipresent he is omnipotent he is omniscient this is all there is he is almighty the almighty Lord let us bow at his feet and worship him in love and adoration and then we will in truth be one with our father we are made in his image and in his likeness let us remember that and for once be what we should. God is good. He is merciful. How wonderful He is.
Now let us pray to him. O Almighty God, let thy grace descend upon me. Open my heart that I may realize thy light. Fill my mind with thy wisdom. Fill my being with thy peace. O Heavenly Father, may thy love shine forever upon the sanctuary of my devotion. May I be able to awaken all hearts with my own and bring them to thee. Oh, 